0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, November 14th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. Touch. Think about it. The feeling of a pinch on the skin of your cheek your bare hand on a cold metal pole, a tight bear hug, or an ant crawling up your arm. Almost everything we do involves our sense of touch. It connects us to objects, people, and creatures that surround us, and it enables us to navigate our way around the world. It's perhaps the most important, and certainly the most taken-for-granted sense we have. We're talking about touch and the science behind it. In the first of the five Science of the Senses events, Science in the City brought together Renolfo Romo, a Mexico neurophysiologist, and Kun Chang, a Canadian filmmaker, to combine forces and thoughts. So you missed the first Science of the Five Senses event. Lucky for you, you've got another chance. Four more chances, actually. Coming up on December 2nd, neurogeneticist Leslie Vosthal and scent expert Avery Gilbert team up to tackle the science of smell. Then, it's the science of sight on January 12th, taste on February 12th, and all about hearing on April 29th. Get your tickets to this fresh and smart series online at www.nyas.org. fivesenses you.
1: In general, I am very interested in one simple question. I want to understand how the external world is represented in the activity of the brain.
0: Meet Renolfo Romo, a Mexican neurophysiologist who's devoted his life's research to discovering what happens in our brains when our senses are engaged.
1: This is a general question for vision, the auditory system, for smelling, taste, and I choose. The study of touch because of the simplicity is more simple because we know a lot about the receptors, the nerves that connect the receptors with the brain. And we know about the organization of the brain associated to touch processing. Touch processing has been... A very powerful tool to understand principles of brain organization
2: over the last 15 years or so. My name is Kun Chang and I'm a filmmaker and I live in Montreal. I originally was interested in doing a film about the skin actually and I wanted to do a a very artistic 20-minute film and my producer convinced me that I could do a longer film and when I started doing the research I realized that the skin was interesting but the touch was so much more interesting When I started doing the research, it really opened my eyes. And I think a lot of the research that I came across was really quite stunning. I realized that it's something that people rarely think about. I mean, I think people always think about the other senses. You know, you you think, oh, I have to get a hearing aid or glasses. But you very seldom think about touch, and you very seldom think about losing touch as well.
0: Chang's film is called Touch, the Forgotten Sense. In it, he profiles a number of people whose lives have been profoundly affected by touch. Hain describes one woman's experience in the film. Her name is Jeanette.
2: This particular woman was quite a fine, and it was a very interesting case. She's one of, at least when I interviewed her, she, she was one of only two known people who had lost a sense of touch and what's called proprioception, which is sometimes called the sixth sense, which is kind of an inner sense of touch which allows you to know where your arms are in space and things like that. She woke up one morning and had no sense of touch except for on her forehead and this is I think 25, 26 years ago now. And one of the things I think that you don't realize is that when you lose the sense of touch, you have no feedback from your feet, for example. So you can't even walk. So she's actually in a wheelchair. And there are many things, like just her holding an egg. I mean, when you think about something like holding an egg, an egg is like, if you don't know how much pressure you're applying to an egg, you could very well break it. And it took her seven years to be able to hold an egg. And through her visual cues, say okay, this is how my fingers are supposed to look like when I hold an egg without breaking it.
1: This is probably one of the most incredible things that happened to a living person. She lost all the primary afferents, the nerves that connect the skin where she gathered information and also from the muscles and from the joints. So this person cannot live in a real world. She has to use the sense of vision, an audition, and some others, in order to live. So this is our brain. We think that the brain is responsible for gathering the information from the skin and from the joints.
2: She had a very rare virus. It's called Guillain-Barré. In most cases, as far as I understand, when you get this virus, you lose the sense of touch for a period but it usually comes back. In her case she had it twice and your body attacks your only receptors so basically the body attacked her receptors overnight and she had no more feeling when she woke up in the morning.
0: It's hard to imagine waking up with no sense of touch. A series of sensory receptors make up our sense of touch and Romo explains the complexity of these receptors.
1: There are some receptors associated to some nerves that are associated with Motion, something that moves across the skin. For example, you couldn't detect the walking of a mosquito across your forearm if you didn't have these receptors. Some other for pressure, very fine pressure. For example, the people that read in Braille, they use both motion plus this pressure, very fine way in order to detect the texture of an object. There are some others associated to the sense of the angle of your joints. This is my hand, so there are receptors that encode the position of each of these second, and for example, the position of my arm, proprioception. There are some other receptors located in the muscles that indicate what is the tension of the muscles, for example. Plus, of course, the receptors associated to temperature and to when you are uh, threatened by a heat or something like that.
0: Our sense of touch is regulated by the somatosensory system. If touch receptors in our fingers, for instance, are stimulated, a signal is relayed to the neurons in our brain which process and store the sensory information. The area of the brain thought to be most associated with touch is called the somatosensory cortex, located next to the part of the brain responsible for controlling movement. Romo says... There's a pretty good explanation for this.
1: The sense of touch is associated with motion, and you need to move continuously. There is a loop between the somatosensation and movement. You cannot move if you do not sense, because Jeanette, the woman with that loss, the sensory input, could try to move by herself, but she needs the feedback that you are moving and that you are uh, sensing something with your foot.
0: Romo does research on monkeys to study how we understand and process our sensory experiences. For instance, when I ask you what velvet feels like, chances are you've felt it before and you'll have a pretty good idea of what to expect. You'd also probably be able to identify velvet with your eyes closed. But how and where is the feeling of velvet stored in your brain? Monkeys, says Romo, might be the key to figuring this out.
1: Monkeys are primates as we are. And these monkeys are rhesus monkeys, they go to the laboratory and learn something, as students go to a university to learn something, but they learn perceptual tasks, touch tasks, in a very precise way as humans execute to. And if they execute things at humans, there might be some neural apparatus that which is very common between monkeys and us. And it happens that the skin of monkeys is exactly the same as us. They have exactly the same touch receptors, the same nerves, and the same brain areas associated to touch perception. So it becomes a very powerful model to understand basic things, how our brain might be operating. Because of ethical things, we cannot study human brain cells directly. So we use this model in a very appropriate way to understand touch processing by the brain circuits.
0: Romo's experiment is a complicated one, but I'll try to sum it up. Romo gave his monkeys stimuli on the tips of their fingers. Two separate vibrating frequencies, one at a very low frequency and one at a high frequency. The monkey's task was to identify whether it was the first frequency they felt or the second that was the stronger stimuli. When they got the answer right, they were awarded with three drops of tequila. The monkeys were extremely accurate at identifying the difference between a very low and a very high frequency, but as the difference between the frequencies was narrowed, their accuracy declined. During this experiment, tiny, painless microphones, only 20 to 30 microns big, were put in the monkey's somatosensory cortex. These tiny microphones are able to record the rate at which single neurons are firing. What Romo found was that the higher the frequency of the stimulus on the monkey's finger, the higher the firing rate of the neuron in the monkey's brain. This led to further discoveries of how this information is actually encoded in our brains.
1: One of the important things that my laboratory did in the 90s was to discover that the neural code, which is associated to a very simple type of touch stimulus, So we found how the nerve cell really encode that information. If that was the neural code for that sensory information, so we wonder whether that neural code was associated to touch perception. And we found it in two ways, with a very precise correlation between what the monkey was doing with that information and also because we could activate artificially those cells, injecting artificially to those cells the, the patterns, and the monkey used those patterns to respond as if the monkey were using the natural stimulus. That was very extremely important to us. I think it's the first demonstration how a brain circuit generates a neural code for a perception. The second thing we discovered in my laboratory is where and how you store the sensory information, which has been something that many people in the visual system have been looking for. And we discover that the patterns of the, of the stimulus parameters are encoded in the activity of certain brain cells of the frontal lobe. And it's a real code for memory. Fantastic. And the third thing we discover, I think is the basics of perception, the combination with, between sensation and memory. And we discover how the nerve cells of some parts of your cerebral cortex combine the sensory and the working memory information to generate perception. Mm-hmm. And that's three things which I think are extremely important that generalize for other senses too.
0: One important discovery in sensory science is that while there are definite patterns when it comes to our brain processing and remembering touch, for example, our brains aren't as rigid as once thought. In fact, some scientists are experimenting with ways to change sensory pathways to help people who've lost one or more of their senses. Chang explains.
2: It's the idea of seeing through a different part of, like, seeing through touch. Like, for example, if you're blind, if you can relate the same information to the brain as you get from your eyes then in theory because you don't see with the eye and you don't feel with your hands beyond the eye when you look at something by the time the signal gets to the back of your retina all it is that from there to the brain is pulses and there's no difference between those pulses and the pulses from your toe or from anything else it's just the way that the brain understands what those pulses are so if you can get the same information to the brain in theory you can connect a artificial eye and your brain should in theory be able to understand that what you're seeing is sight so they did an experiment where they put an array of electrodes on the tongue which were connected to a camera so it meant that you could actually see shapes of things and in the film there's a blind woman who tries this on through her tongue she can actually recognize shapes and for example she sees a candle that moves and this is something she can never see, and because she she didn't even know that the candle would be moving like that. Mm. So, and it all has to do with plasticity, and I think that's what's so impressive about like Chris Chet, who's in the film as well. It's like the fact that you can retrain, like you can actually understand speech through your t- skin, or you can see through your tongue because your brain is adaptable and the areas that you don't necessarily use, well, you can use them in other ways. The system was originally, I think they had a grant from uh, DARPA or something (laughs) like that. It was some some kind of military application, but the idea was basically that if if a soldier ran into a room and they couldn't see anything, they could have this thing on their tongue and you could uh, feed to them, like, okay, here's a staircase, you got to walk up, here you got to walk left, here you got to walk right. So I tried the system and on my tongue I could feel like a little arrow going straight, and then I could feel the arrow going to the left, then I could feel the arrow going to the right. I could have oriented myself. You do this on a computer, so it's a virtual thing. So you kind of like, you know, you close your eyes and you feel things through the tongue and you go to the, to the left, you go to the right, and you, you navigate through a maze. But it's all through the tongue.
0: Romo says research like this has shifted the way scientists think about our brain's plasticity.
1: We thought before that plasticity was a property of very young brains. Fortunately for us, it had also in all people. But the controversy comes because many years ago, people thought that the very early sensory cortices had plasticity. And I always thought if there were plasticity, imagine that my visual cortex is changing continuously. I couldn't see things. And if my somatosensory cortex saw the form, the shape of my body will be distorted continuously. And it would be exactly the same for the auditory system and for the other senses. So what I think myself, if there is plasticity, is in central areas to the sensory cortices. So the sensory cortices are very good, they they are very rigid. What they do is to give a, a very accurate representation of the external world as most as they can. Although we think that the DNA is an abstraction. It's an abstraction, but this abstraction of the external or the inside world has to be as accurate as possible. But if there is plasticity, I think, is in central uh, areas of our brain, which is extremely difficult to investigate too.
0: While understanding the science behind the sensory experience of touch is important, there's also a psychological component to touch. We communicate through touch in a way we tend not to think about.
2: One of the things I thought was really interesting, which I had never thought about before, is that your boss usually can touch you, but it's very hard to touch your boss. You know? And and people don't really think about it. People who will shake your hand and they will kind of like put a second hand on your on your forearm. And all these things show power as well, you know? So touch communicates a lot of things. And I was completely stunned by the fact that, you know, there are all kinds of studies shown on children and what touch deprivation does. And some of the people that we met, I mean, there's one particular child who's in the film who's deaf and blind, and he can understand what people say through a technique called sadoma, whereby he puts his hand on people's face, and through the vibrations of the mouth and the movement of the lips, he can actually understand speech. And I have to admit that when his tutor went out and he uh, came over and put his hand on my face and he could understand everything I said, it was just really an incredible experience. So
0: Romo is continuing his research into our perception of touch. And what interests him most is our subjective experiences when it comes to senses. Why is it that I might like a smell of a certain perfume that you hate or that I prefer the feeling of cotton sheets to satin?
1: I'm in the middle of something which I, it attracts the most to me. At the end... I might know how nerve cells process touch information and eventually visual information, auditory information. But the question is, how is that in the activity of brain cells your subjective experience is constructed? That's really what I want to understand myself because it's associated to the heart of our mind. Because I don't want to see simply that the cells are firing and responding to the touch and associated to movement or to the visual stimulus. I want to understand how a visual stimulus and a little touch produces to you something, which is motion, how you extract from that stimulus parameters Knowledge, your perception, your sensation, your memory, and that's a very hard problem. But we are there, and probably with uh, some effort, we might be able to understand something because that's very human.
0: For science in the city, I'm Alana Rengi. Thanks for listening. Do you love science in the city podcast? Support them by becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Visit scienceinthecity.org and click Join NYAS. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcast on iTunes and get our newest story downloaded every week automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science and the City in your iTunes search bar. If you have any questions or comments about our show, we would love your feedback. Please send us an email at scienceandthecity@nyas.org or you can leave us a voicemail at two one two. If you want to know more about science and culture in New York City, visit us online at scienceandthecity.org See you next week!